0: Today on the Amped Up to 11 podcast, Rose Booth. Rose is an author, podcaster, and above-the-knee amputee. In her very first book, Rose shares her unbelievable life story of facing death numerous times, doubting her faith, and rising from the depths of despair. The book is called Dancing in the Valley, Finding Life and Joy Amidst the Shadow of Death Nipping at Her Heels. Rose became an amputee in December of 2021 and continues to inspire through public speaking, advocacy, and her work in the women's ministry of her church. It is our pleasure to introduce today to the show, Rose Booth. Hey, Rose. Good to see you. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Rick. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure. And I'm so glad you could spend the time with us today. I've been reading up on you, and I have lots of questions, but I promise it won't be too painful.
1: <laughs> That's fine. Cer- cer- bring it, bring it on.
0: Certainly, yeah, certainly not as 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 painful as uh what what I consider to be in your case uh, a little bit of a uh, recent event um is your amputation. You're you're somewhat of a newer amputee. So you bring a a very interesting perspective to this uh, particular platform. So whenever I meet newer amputees, let's say, you know, anywhere from, let's say a year to like three years into their journey, I am all full of questions. I like to do a lot of comparisons to my own journey back then when I, when I first started all this stuff. um, Is there anything you would say, given your experience at this point, that really surprised you, something that surprised you most about losing a limb?
1: I think what surprised me the most is that I couldn't just get a prosthetic and start walking. So I'm an above-knee amputee, and I mean, also, I I think I'm I'm an overachiever. I try to be. And so I really didn't think much about just getting in the prosthetic. I figured I would go through therapy and I would just start walking again. You know, no issues, uh, maybe even walking better than before. But that definitely wasn't the case.
0: Yeah, I would agree with you. Very often, uh, many, many people that, you know, never experience limb loss think it's a plug and play situation where you take away one limb and then you just attach another, not really understanding that it, it's, it's an incredibly difficult sort of calculus that goes into getting used to even donning a prosthesis, let alone walking, I mean, very often, you know, running, jumping, doing all, right. all kinds of physical activities. And I would say for myself personally, It probably took about two years before I could actually don a prosthesis and somewhat comfortably, but I'm about six, seven years into my journey now. And I would say I'm finally getting to be the most active I've ever been, Mm -hmm. uh, not only as an amputee, but also as an adult. So it's, it's, it's a long, long process. And certainly, um, there's many challenges, you know, along the way. Uh, but I, I certainly appreciate that sentiment because most people do think it's just a simple thing, and and it really isn't, you know. Um, yeah, we've we've got quite quite a few challenges in there. W- what were the circumstances that led to your particular amputation? I know you said you're above the knee. So, can you walk us through that?
1: Certainly. So, it all started November of 2019. I uh, I was severely in a lot of pain in my right hip and ended up going to the ER and discovered I was septic. So, for lack of giving you the full story, uh, it was septic arthritis, and I I have had rheumatoid arthritis since I was 28. And so I've been dealing with that uh, limitation. But when this happened in November of 2019, it started a journey of 14 surgeries, uh, three times facing death, uh, two heart casts, a heart attack, more than a year in the hospital and rehabs, and then eventually losing my right leg above my knee. Essentially, I had uh, I had a hip replacement, I had a knee replacement, and what happened after the knee replacement, I was doing great and had an accident at the rehab facility and tore the patella tendon, and then it never truly would heal properly, and so I contracted an infection, and then because the muscle was torn, it just couldn't keep the incision together, and so because of that, um, there really wasn't anything else to do but to amputate, and during that time, I I also turned septic and coded, and there were just a whole lot of issues around the amputation, but so in December was actually New Year's Eve of 2021, uh, I had my amputation.
0: And going through those trials, and I have ridden this roller coaster myself. I'm I'm a kidney transplant recipient. Uh, I'm a heart valve replacement patient. Um, Obviously, an amputee, just like yourself. I understand this roller coaster. This okay. We're hoping this surgery is going to work. Then there's the recovery, and then there's a setback. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like you know. And then it just repeats and it repeats yeah. and you can reach a place very often where you're sort of faced with the idea of like, is this it? Is, it? is this just, is this what the end is supposed to feel like? Is Is this what just happens when people get sick? Is this the path that we all sort of walk down? In our in our ending days, and you're obviously not that person. And I don't mean in the sense that you didn't take that journey, but you didn't succumb to that because you're here, you're you're Mm -hmm. thriving in in many respects. You mentioned you're an overachiever, so I'm sure that played a role. But Mm -hmm. in those in those darkest hours, and I've been there myself. When when we're at the hospital, let's say we're alone, and we're just you know, with our own thoughts, what, what's the place that you go to as a person in those moments?
1: So for me, I'm a follower of Christ. I, so my faith is extremely important to me. And I, I won't lie by saying that, I, I you know, I always was strong in my faith through this journey. I hit the pit. I went was in the pit often, and many times it was hard for me to even pray or, or look to him for my strength. But I had a great support group of people around me praying for me, and I could definitely tell that made a huge difference.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: I also felt like you know part of part of my testimony is. You know, I used to be a Christian Pollyanna, and when all this happened, I really believe that there, there had to be a quota on suffering. You know, I've I've, I've served the Lord majority of my life. Uh, I had a great life when all this hit me, and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm only going to suffer a certain amount of time, but that's not really the case. There is no quota on suffering, no matter who you are. So I battled a lot with uh, depression and sadness just at the loss of not only my leg, but my life. And I really, you know, in the beginning of this journey, when you talk about setbacks, the setbacks were were big at certain times. But, um, you know, I was, again, being that Pollyanna, I thought, that's great. You know, it's okay. We're going to get through this. It's going to be great. And then you just kept getting hit hit after hit after hit as you talk about and you know you begin to even the most resilient person struggles and a lot of what got me through I mean really what got me through was Jesus but what got me through was knowing that I'm a living testimony of what he's doing in my life and I and even though I was battling some of this journey literally my, my flesh wanted to just walk away from the Lord saying, I'm done. Like, I'm done. But I knew this was this was what I needed to do. The Lord was with me. And I needed to be faithful to that. And I wanted to have a story. And I wanted people to see that it doesn't really matter how difficult life can get. The Lord is always with you. And because I trusted in him completely, and really it wasn't until two years in did I really surrender everything. I had a lot of control over what I wanted. I wanted to get back to my old life. And then finally, about two years in, almost, I just had to pray a prayer surrender and say, "I'm done, Lord, and I'm tired of trying to control this." I got to take what you have for me. And that really started the worst three months in this journey, which ended in me losing my leg. And it got to the point before my amputation, right before the week of when I coded, um, I had told everyone I was ready to go to Jesus. I was done. I wanted to go. And and after the amputation and I fought back, um, I really went through a lot of, grief, but also I i was ready to go to heaven. I was ready to be done with this earth, but God had other plans. And that was hard because I was ready to go. And so at my lowest physically, feel- I had to fight back through that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, don't, don't you feel, and I, I felt this way because you mentioned your support system, I think one of the most painful things for me when I was ill for a number of years was the pain and suffering that I was witnessing around me, seeing Mm -hmm. the people that were close to me worried, seeing the people that were close to me becoming deeply emotional and struggling with to be to be quite honest at times struggling to even come and see me mm. because that in itself was was very hard for them because when we when we love someone we never want to see them in pain mm. and you know we 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 tend mo- most of us that are that are deeply compassionate and maybe can't stomach it all that well tend to look away and say I just can't you know I can't process this This is too hard. I had very, very close friends, you know, lifelong close friends that did not come see me, Mm, you know, just, and, and, and it, and it wasn't really even shocking in the sense of, well, you know, they don't care about me or why, why wouldn't they be there for me? I knew that they couldn't handle it. They couldn't Mm -hmm. handle the idea that someone they deeply cared, cared about was, maybe getting ready to leave this place. And oh. that was very, very difficult. However, you you, uh, you know, you can find that some beautiful relationships, friendships, support systems will come to surface in those darkest moments. And that can be sort of a retool and refuel of the joy, and the the ambition and drive to stay here and and to say, well, you know, you know, in your case, maybe my faith is showing me that um life is worth living, I need to stay, I need to to do all of these other things that I I just haven't had a chance to do yet. And to me, you know, what you've done post op as far and I know you've been through <laughs> More more <laughs> surgeries than you'd probably like, than you'd like to count, but you know, given you know where you're at now, it, it it's fantastic to see you you engaging all of these other things that you not only you love but that that you can tell your story, you know, to the world. I want to get the um. <laughs> Excuse me, I want to get the the name of the book correct. I don't want to screw this up. Um, so, Dancing in the Valley, Finding Life and Joy Amidst the Shadow of Death nipping at her heels. That's a lot. That is a lot right there. When when I see that, Rose, I think, okay. This is this this is going to be interesting so obviously highly anticipated book that is uh I believe is being released December first, correct
1: that is correct, yes, yes,
0: okay, so december first so th- so this podcast will actually air um before the release of your your book so i'm I'm excited about that, so mark it on your calendar December first. Uh, Rose Booth, her her book is going to be out uh, available, I'm assuming, uh, all platforms. Is it through Amazon, through everywhere you'll be able to get your hands on it, correct?
1: Yes, that's right. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the general suspects.
0: Okay, fantastic. Uh, I'm curious, because I do a bit of writing myself, had you always been... Uh, so, somewhat of a, either a bookworm or an aspiring writer, or was this something that just came from your experiences, you know, facing the challenges you have and, and coming so near death?
1: It definitely has been a dream of mine to write a book for quite a few years, probably 16, 17 years I wanted to write a book. I don't know if you're familiar with the movie, Mr. Holland's Opus. It's an older oh, Richard movie. Richard Dreyfus, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. So the movie premise is that Mr. Holland has to deal with life, and so he never gets to write his opus. And he is teaching kids and taking care of a deaf son and all those things. And if people haven't seen it, they need to go back and watch it. It's got a great ending. But that was me. Like I had life was going on and I just didn't have an opportunity to invest the time in writing a book. And it takes a lot of time. Didn't really know where to start. And so I ended up right before I, or in the midst of when I um, started this journey, I came across a literary agent who I've followed for years, Joy Reed, Joy Eggridge's Reed. And she was going to do a writing cohort that would help people to come in on the other side with a book proposal. So I tried doing that in March of 2021, and that's when the accident happened with my patella tendon. So I said, hey, can I just, can I do it another time? Sure. So October of 2021, I was set to go, got all my materials ready to roll. It's a 30-day thing. And that's when I ended up back in the hospital before the last three months before I lost my leg. So... Mm. Finally, when I got out, May of 2022, I went through the cohort and came out with a proposal. And I say this about a lot of things in my life, but I really feel like that the Lord allowed this to happen to make all my dreams come true. So I'd always wanted to write a book and I'm do, I've am do i done that. I've always wanted to be a radio talk show host. Well, now I, I co-host a podcast. Uh, And I've always wanted to do more work in the church, serving my church more. And I'm doing that. So because I I loved my life before, I had a full-time job, more than full-time, working 50 hours a week or more, managing a team I loved, doing what I loved. But that was all-consuming. And so now that I'm really not able to work full-time, um, due to the, the kind of the hit my body took and the amputation and the RA and all of that. These are the things I'm doing and they're very fulfilling and they're great. But I was, I was a bookworm as a child, was on my newspaper staff in high school and really loved to write and began a blog in 2005 and everybody said, oh gosh, you need to write a book. I couldn't decide on what to write it on or I had six different ideas, didn't know which one to go with and then all of this happened and here I am.
0: Yeah, so where where I uh get even more curious is in terms of writing process because you know, I again, have done some writing and I'm I'm actually in the midst of uh working with a publisher on a uh young adult fiction uh story. And I got to tell you, there are times where I just, I mean, there are days when I'm ready to write and everything's flowing, but there are other days where it's, it's, it's just, it's like pulling teeth. Mm -hmm. I mean, to get ideas on paper and to feel somewhat confident that it, that it has some kind of cohesion, um, (laughs) what what is your i mean what's your process i mean i know every writer is a little bit different but i'm i'm curious to know do you hit those stumbling stumbling blocks and how do you o- overcome those
1: definitely i think being a writer being an author you do it in a vacuum you you're basically sort of a i think a lot of times introverts even struggle but it is somewhat of an introvert type of of a job you research depending on what you're writing you know you might have to research which takes a lot of time you've got to think a lot um and then you have days where just like you said you can sit down and just blow it out and then there are other days when you just can't for the life of you write anything so i would say for me (laughs) with this. <laughs> for me for the with this story, it's my story, it's my life story. And it, it tells majority it, it of the book does concentrate on the years twenty nineteen through twenty twenty-two. But I tell my whole life a story, but concentrating on those times that are difficult that were hard. That was very difficult for me. I would have to take breaks because not only it's not so much that the ideas it wouldn't flow but that it was too traumatic sometimes to recount all of that it's therapeutic in, on some days and traumatic on others so a lot of times mm. i would have to take some pretty big breaks in between but i would say that one of the, the things that i use when i'm sort of stuck and that's i've got other book ideas and already thinking ahead about those but in general if i'm thinking about a you know writing and i'm stuck Typically what I do is I just take a break and I give myself that grace to do that. But I usually, my mind is always thinking. And so I try to let my mind sort of absorb things in my day and use it to, I process a lot in my mind on structure and outline. I I visualize it in my mind first and then I can sit down and write. And typically if I just let my mind sort of be creative without sitting in front of the computer, I think that really helps because I think the pressure of sitting down in front of your keyboard kind of can stunt your creativity. So a lot of times that's what will help me is just to walk away from the keyboard or in my case, roll away from the keyboard and let just live life for a while and let my mind sort of process what my next my next words need to be for the page.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good advice because I've done that myself. Sometimes I feel like sitting at the keyboard, there's this pressure, like this performance type pressure of yeah. I gotta, you know, I have to come up with these really interesting ideas right now. And very often I will. I'll I'll step away. I'll let that process a bit give my my brain a chance to breathe, and then suddenly I'll get an idea and think, okay, here it comes, now it's time. The thing I was also really surprised by was just the volume. I, I mean, maybe my my grammar just stinks, but just just the volume of self-editing I've had to do where I will sort of riff and jam and just be cranking away. All these ideas are sort of, you know, kind of getting splashed onto a page, go back and think, oh my gosh, wh- <laughs> what is this? Like, what am I trying to say right now? Because none of this makes any sense to me. And I was the one that wrote it.
1: I'm right. thinking,
0: what on earth? <laughs> what, what Was I on drugs this day? Like, what was I doing? <laughs> you know, the yeah, whole thing is just very, very strange. Yeah. <laughs> go it's ahead. It's really
1: interesting. So when I, I've i done the very same thing, I've gone through, I've written it all down, but I would go back. Typically I would write chapter by chapter and then I'd go back and read through and I'd be like, what in the world is that? Like, you know <laughs> And then I would read, re completely redo stuff. But when I got to the publishing process and, be, and had a manuscript, you know, then you start with, the, I had a developmental editor who went through to sort of read it from a developmental standpoint. And then there were lots of edits. Then I went through a copy edit stage where the copy editor made changes, and then I had a couple of friends read the draft before we've, we're we're now <clears throat> excuse me we're now finalizing the typesetting, ready for the upload. And so I had a couple of friends read through it, and and again I'm like, what am I? I got to the stage of have I maybe I shouldn't even be writing like like the amount of corrections and changes, but you know i think i actually enjoy the editing process and i think that's a little different than most writers most writers i think like to just get it on the page and be done and move on their editing process can be it's it is it's very arduous but it does make your work better and so i try to look at it when i do what you've done where i've read something go what am i thinking i just think about it as as just a piece of pottery that if or an art piece that you were continually tweaking to make it the best we can make it.
0: Yeah, molding and shaping. What, given everything that you've put into this, and I'm, I'm just so excited to to read it. What would you say you want people that dive into this and absorb it, consume it? Let's say, what do you want them to take away from the book?
1: I think I'm, my my overarching takeaway from this would be that which has been but was my mantra through this God is faithful always God is always good and he is always right So that's the overarching thing I want people to leave with no matter what you go through in life you've got to remember those three things I think One of the motivations of, of writing this book was I had, I have read a lot of books that tell a story, a tragic tale of suffering or loss or whatever it might be. And it showed people who really never wavered and were very strong in their faith, strong through the process. And maybe even people who've gone on, come out on the other side saying it's great. You know, I've, life is good and, and all of this. And to me, that, to me, I'm like that, that's not reality for everybody. I mean, you mentioned Rick, how you, you know, you're what, six years down the road and you're just now saying I'm probably the most active I've been. I mean, that, that's, that's reality, right? So I wanted to present a, a picture of reality, but of survival. And not Mm -hmm. a picture that it's candy coated with no matter how many hits I got, I never gave up my faith in the Lord. I never struggled. I never, no, that's not true. And if you are a believer, if you follow Christ, one of the things that you may believe is that if I hit a rocky road, you know, I'm going to get through this because I'm a Christian or I follow Jesus. Well, you're going to get through it, but how you get through that is going to be where your foundation is found. And it doesn't mean you're not going to wrestle with that faith. Um, All through scripture, you see people um, who wrestled with their faith and we don't portray those pictures in our books that we write. I feel, I feel like many just show the candy coated picture one of the great, one of the greatest books I've read through, uh, from someone who went through a tragic life and tragic um, story, obviously, is Johnny Erickson Tata, who became a quadriplegic at 17 or 18. More recently, um, a book called Hope Heals uh, is by a woman who at 28 suffered a, an aneurysm that should have taken her life. She had a six-month-old child, and she tells the story, and it is not all lollipops and roses. And I appreciate that because it that book really spoke to me years before I even went through this because it was real. And you know, it's great to hear the success stories of people who come out on the other side and how things are good for them right now. But I hope this this speaks to people who might be in the midst of some sort of struggle to know that yes you need to hang on, but you can wrestle in this journey, and that's okay. I, th-
0: I think those are really, really important words, especially for this community that you are now a member of, of limb mm-hmm. loss and limb difference. Becoming an amputee can be not only sobering, but also it is one of those things where you can begin to track some of the dysfunction. Amongst amputees and the perceptions with amputees, you know, one of the things that we we focus on here at the show is to bring amputees into the spotlight of all backgrounds, of all fitness levels, of oh. all skill sets. We we tend to, at least myself, um, I, I I tend to see amputees in two camps. Usually there is the very glamorous camp of amputees. These are the people in the commercials and the advertisements. They're strong and they're lean and they're doing all these amazing things and they're Paralympic athletes and this and that. and, And that's great. It's beautiful and it's flashy and sexy and all those cool things. However, there is another group of amputees. I consider myself in the other group, which is we are just everyday people. We go to work, we uh, pursue friendships and relationships, we are part of other communities, and we pursue our passions, and we bring something to this particular universe that is just as relevant and just as important as anyone that has an endorsement deal. Let's put it that way. So when I look at your yourself and I see what you're doing, just a couple years after going through usually, usually what will pretty much knock someone completely off their access, off their axis, pardon me. And they're they're kind of done with with any sort of pursuit, any sort of passion we we see amputees going into a very very dark space they don't want to engage any longer to them life is sort of over uh to see what you're doing um is very very inspiring and mm-hmm. it 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 brings it brings to the community and and I hope our listeners that sense of hope that no matter what age you are or your background, socioeconomic situation, whatever fitness level you're at, um, losing a limb does not mean in any way, shape, or form, well, your life's over. In in fact, mm-hmm. I believe it's just beginning. The new chapter, mm-hmm. no pun intended, is is just beginning. And, mm-hmm. you know, you 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 are a living testament to that. And mm-hmm. I so I so appreciate your courage and you wanting to document your your journey in in a very very dark time of your life. And to be quite honest, I I can say that because I I personally have not gone there myself. I sure. I, I haven't chosen to put all those words down and to document all those feelings and you know to to relive some of those tra- traumatic moments. I mean, you said it yourself, you, you'd you have to step away from it and try to come up for air before, before you dive back into it again. So, Absolutely. I mean, that, that, that's, you know, I mean, if, if you're not inspired by that, I don't know if there's anything else that's going to inspire you because that's, that's really something. Um, you know how how would someone if they wanted to speak to you reach out to you get any kind of uh, guidance um how, how do you prefer they do that with you
1: so the best way to reach me would be through my website it's very simply rosebooth.net there is a place there for contacting me for asking me anything a couple different places uh, that's probably the first the first area to find me I have a blog there, which is a little um, neglected since I've been (laughs) writing the book, but I try to keep that going. I have a newsletter that I ask people to subscribe to. They can keep up with um, my publishing journey and just my life journey. Um, You can also find my podcast there, which is One Single Thought. I co-host with my friend Heather Bump. You can find that on any podcast uh, provider, catcher. Uh, so those are probably the best, the best ways to get a hold of me. And um, yeah, and I, I do some speaking. I'm not really traveling outside of the regional area. I live in Louisville, Kentucky, but I'm very open to do any sort of virtual um, meetups with with. Uh, any groups or individuals and, and happy to do any sort of uh, virtual speaking opportunities. But I have to, I also want to add, Rick, I love what you said about, you know, the two camps of amputees. That's so insightful. And I really think that's something that's valuable that I think your listeners really should take heart when they think about where they are as an amputee. Because I think sometimes, you know, those who aren't in this community don't really understand because maybe who they see are these influencers and people with endorsements in the glamorous group. What they don't see is what they deal with, but they don't show and what we deal with, which is we have to do everything different from taking a shower to cooking a meal to, to navigating a world that doesn't have automatic doors or... Uh, ramps to get in places whatever that looks like and I really feel like that is I don't want to call it the secret life of an amputee but those are things you're not going to put out onto social media in fact I've even asked some of those what I would consider glamorous uh, members of that community if they would show how they get around and do everyday life And they -hmm. they sort of don't respond because I don't think they want to show that. And I, you know, that's, I don't know that I want to show that, but I think it's something that the world needs to know that it is not all glamorous, even if you are a glamorous member of the community.
0: No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And so much of my focus, not only in the advocacy piece, but also the normalization of what we go through the normalization of the amputee lifestyle and that yeah we do things differently mm-hmm. but in a lot of ways this is just the circumstance that we have to adapt to and right. you know we don't come out of surgery and they hand us a really cool running blade and say yeah you'll be running tomorrow um <laughs> it just doesn't yeah it just doesn't work that way and there and there tends to be some misperceptions that uh you know, this this whole thing is just, uh, you know, really easy. And um, it, it's just not. So, you know, I appreciate you touching that again. And um, we all look so forward to the book on December 1st. And if anyone wants to reach out to you, uh, please, it's rosebooth.net, correct?
1: Correct. Rosebooth.net. And there's lots of ways to reach out to me through the website.
0: Yeah. So, so please do so. Uh, Ruth, uh, uh, Rose, pardon me. Um, I'm getting tongue tied now. Um, you know,
1: that happens, Listen, Rick, I, that happens all the time Because people think of my first and last name together And they call me Ruth Yeah, because
0: so it's, it's Booth Yeah, it's Rose and Booth And then you combine yeah. it and go, Ruth Yeah,
1: yeah exactly <laughs> the, yeah.
0: the one thing, I can't let you go I was I was about to wrap up the, And it just popped into my head The one thing that I read That I found I was just tickled by as you, I know you can already see it coming Um, John Wilkes Booth, this is a distant relative of yours, correct?
1: He he is. Yes, he is. That's extraordinary
0: that... Yeah. Go ahead. (laughs) Explain this correlation.
1: Yeah. So I don't know exactly um, all the steps. I've tried doing it through Ancestry because I have have done my tree through Ancestry, but... My dad's oldest sister years ago did a deep dive, a uh, family tree way before you had the internet to trace back to um, John Wilkes Booth, and actually did. So I think I like to always add to that that I'm also a, a that means I'm also part of a a family of actors. So that's a positive, um, even though he was a presidential assassin. His brother Edwin and, and himself, John Wilkes, were well-known actors, and their dad, Genius, was a well-known actor. So uh, there's a booth theater, I believe, in New York that was named after the family. And so I like to focus on those positives of that part of the family, but... Yeah. Well, so. sure.
0: Because the immediate yeah. association is you're related to someone who killed Abraham Lincoln, you know, Yeah. and yeah. that's o- that's only one part of the story. And I had done some research on John Wilkes Booth as well. And yeah, there, there's a rich history there in, in terms of, you know, what he came from and and being an actor and everything else. So I, I find that those little tidbits are just fascinating to me historically. Yes. And I, 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 I appreciate your, your research into that. And um, but anyway, I, I didn't necessarily want to end on that note, but it just, it literally just popped into my head right, right as I was getting ready to sign off.
1: Well, I will say Go this ahead. too, Rick, you know, there's always, when we think about amputation, we like to believe that there's something good that's going to come from our limb loss. And in John wilkes situation, the Secret Service was born because of John Wilkes B. So our <laughs> presidents, go. our presidents are now protected for life yes. because of the action of John Wilkes B. So there are some good exactly. things that come from the bad. There
0: are. There are. I would. I would agree. Um, Rose, I appreciate you being here today. It's been a fascinating interview. Um, I hope we can have you again after the book is on the bestseller yeah, be list. Awesome yeah exactly. and I'd and love to. um yeah. I'm great yeah I, I, I so appreciate what you bring to this growing community um and I'm so excited for people to listen in and learn more about you uh Rose booth, thanks again I'm Rick bonkowski. this is the amped up to eleven podcast and I want to wish everyone health and happiness and we'll see you next time.